It's longer time. Yay! Yay. Lager Time Poems, Stories and Thoughts By me, Paul Cree Who else? Who else indeed? Yeah Greetings Bonjour What's happening? Welcome to Lager Time Legions of Lager Lights Grab your tins, your bottles and your pints this here is a little blog and podcast which I write, record and produce via Substack where I share bits and bobs that I've been writing, be it poems, stories, music and more recently these thought sort of essay attempts whilst not really knowing what I'm doing at any point. Today is Wednesday and I'm in the gaff in Maystone, shortly getting ready to make my way up to London for a few days to carry out my usual workshop activities etc this episode should be out on friday all going well however it's unlikely i'll have one ready for the following week might have to wait a week i'm not going to be at home much i don't think i'm going to get the time to record it it takes quite a while to do it all and i'm not that organized a little bit of news i'm going to be back on stage in a theater show in April at the Polka Theatre in Wimbledon. It's a hip-hop retelling of Romeo and Juliet and is written by my Beats and Elements spars and good pals Conrad Murray and Lakeisha Lynch-Stevens. I'm one of the understudies for the role of Mercutio, I believe, and we'll be doing four shows all in all, I think. I go into rehearsals in February and then it opens on 2nd of March. I think the dates I'm doing are 12th, 13th and 14th of April. I'm a little nervous because it's been a while since I've been in a production like this and one that isn't written by me. But the cast are very good. The guys I'll be doing it with are razor sharp from the various shows they've all been doing. So, you know, it's going to take me a bit of time to get up to speed. But sometimes you just got to throw yourself in, mate, and do your best. So this week's episode is called On Bullshit Detection and is written in response to a quote from book three of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations in case you've not got the memo about what I'm doing over here. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to support my work, the best thing you can probably do is introduce it to someone who you think might like it, as weird and niche as this little thing is. Alternatively, you can make a donation on Ko-Fi or buy my book, The Suburban. Sold a copy last week, large up that person. Promptly posted it. Two days later, should be with them by now. There's only a few copies left of this. Or the book of plays I co-wrote with my aforementioned Beats and Elements team, Hip Hop Theatre Anthology. Or you can just stream my music or watch the videos or whatever. You know the coup. Have a banging weekend. Keep it larger than life. Peas and taters. Paul.
Nothing is so conducive to greatness of mind as the ability to subject each element of our experience in life to methodical and truthful examination, always at the same time using this scrutiny as a means to reflect on the nature of the universe, the contribution any given action or event makes to that nature, the value this has for the whole, and the value it has for man. A man is an inhabitant of the highest city, of which all other cities are mere households. Book 3, 11.2 The older I get, the more I think that a strong marker of a successful life is the ability to smell and call out your own bullshit, address it, change it, then crack on. It's taken me a long time to figure that one out. All this stuff here that I'm doing is mere evidence of the excavation process. Hold tight Tony Robbins and his squad of time teamers. Growing up, moments of self-awareness would occasionally appear like an unreliable rural bus service that only comes once a day and provide me with some honest feedback like, you are being a dickhead there, Paul. The majority of the time, though, I was submerged in my own nonsense and acting accordingly, not really knowing why I was doing things like the sudden sharpening of my accent or use of certain slang terms when I'd meet girls or boys from other areas at parties or whatever, as if they would be somehow impressed. Yeah. Sometimes, what in retrospect was an angel, but at the time I thought was probably a prick, Someone else would deliver those hard-hitting messages that I needed to hear. After I left school, I went to East Surrey College with most of the other dropouts and did some made-up course in IT. Except that it was actually quite hard and the course leaders were tough on us. I carried to that college the same attitude I had at school and barely did anything for nine months beyond dicking about in internet chat rooms, smoking drawer in the park and playing pool and snooker in Red Hill Town Centre. Yet I still turned up, pretty much every day. A few letters went home to mum and dad about my massive backlog of assignments, with a threat to boot me off the course if I didn't liven up and do some work. I didn't, yet I still turned up, every day, perhaps convincing myself that at some point I was going to knuckle down, or, more likely, I was just putting off the inevitable, like some ageing celebrity who every year gets a new bit of surgery to suppress the encroaching stench of death that gets harder and harder to hide. Hold tight, Madonna. One day in class, I was making light of the fact that I was probably going to be kicked out and didn't really care or whatever, playing it all casual. When a kid called Ben, who was a bit older, goes, Why are you even here then? Why do you keep coming in every day? What's the point of you being here? I had no answer. I felt like a total bellend. At the time, I hated him for it. I wanted to chin him. Or at least say something witty in return. But I had nothing. He was spot on. After that, I tried to knuckle down and do a bit of work. Just a bit still convincing myself that I could catch up and eventually, with the doomsday clock ticking, I went capping to the course leader, asking for more time. She was this no-nonsense, quite intimidating woman called Anne, who'd been round the block and probably dealt with hundreds of half-arsed strings like me. She called me a twat to my face 
and said that it was too late. And thus, I got kicked off the course and out of the college, bringing an abrupt end to my formal education. When not lost in the multiple layers of my own bullshit and my attempts to disguise it to myself, I'd observe others seemingly swimming in their own bollocks too and acting accordingly. From the age of 14, I worked part-time as a newsagent and then graduated to Waitrose, where I went full-time on the checkouts for a while after being booted from East Surrey. There were times when customers were ripping into me, or rather sensitive young'uns on the checkouts, for the most innocuous of things, like a slight dent on a tin of beans or a cue that's taking too long, proper flinging their vocal weight around. At times... It was like being on the floor and taking the vocal equivalent of a severe kicking because you ever so slightly brushed a protruding thread on some geezer's YSL shirt in a packed pub when trying to carefully manoeuvre through the boozer doing the very delicate ballet of the four-pint carry. It was in these moments that I'd disengage and then wonder what it would be like if we were able to secretly film these tirades and then calmly take these people into a room, make them sit down and watch the replay. Would they see themselves, grimace, then go, Yeah, I lost my head out there today. Feel like I've really let the lads down. On fair play, I hold up my hands to my mistakes. I just got to get back on the pitch and make sure that doesn't happen again. I like to think so. Around the same time, Mobile phones were starting to become ubiquitous. Sometimes I'd be sat at the station or somewhere else public, while some loudmouth would be having an overblown row down the phone, as if it was all for the benefit of those of us in earshot. Again, I'd be thinking, why are you doing this? Then go back to trying to maintain my geezer stance, chest out, head back, spit on the floor, trying to bring attention to my Reebok classics and my hoop earring, you know the coup. And there was always some rude boy on the train who'd hopped the ticket barrier at the station and then got busted on board for not having a ticket. But they'd always be going nuts protesting their innocence. And I'd be thinking, just take the hit, mate. Put your hands up. One of the good things about starting to write lyrics and then poems and everything else was that it became an opportunity to examine what I was doing and why I was doing it. Pointing the camera at myself, I suppose. And over the years, it has been pretty useful in that respect, even if self-reflection wasn't my intention. Of course, it could also go the other way, which it quite often did, where I'd end up endlessly reinforcing my own bullshit, like the poem about the BNP I once wrote. When I started performing poetry stuff, I must have unconsciously made a note of the types of crowd to be at these gigs, because at some point, I produced this poem ostensibly mocking the far-right British National Party. In hindsight, what it really was doing was having a pop at a particular group of people within society making crass generalisations who may or may not have been racist. But really, I was probably just signalling to the good people of the room that I too was a decent moral person like them. And I really wanted their validation. I'm certainly no supporter of anything even close to the BNP, but I remember reading that poem just once to a packed room, getting a few laughs and nods in the right places, then coming off the mic, sitting back down 
and feeling a bit sick with myself. I got the same feeling another time when I had a piece that had a pop at Daily Mail readers. Again, I'm no fan of the Daily Mail, but why was I doing it? Really? Probably because in those circles, the BNP and the Daily Mail and the stereotypes of their followers were easy targets and it made me look good or something equally shallow, self-righteous and disingenuous. Had I written a poem about some UK-based far-right Islamist organisation with equally abhorrent and supremacist views on society, would I have read that one out? I doubt it, for fear that some of those people laughing at the punchlines in the BNP piece could possibly label me a bigot and an Islamophobe. In the arty circles I've operated in for the last 15 or so years, being called a bigot is probably worse than being outed as a nonce. For the record, I've had disingenuous pops at Guardian readers too, and one time, whilst there and on stage, stereotyping the entire audience at the Latitude Festival. Not sure what the motive was there, probably letting them know that I had a bit about me, which might have won over some females. It didn't. Again though, easy targets. Nothing is so conducive to greatness of mind as the ability to subject each element of our experience in life to methodical and truthful examination, always at the same time using this scrutiny as a means to reflect on the nature of the universe, the contribution any given action or event makes to that nature, the value this has for the whole and the value it has for man. A man is an inhabitant of the highest city, of which all other cities are mere households. There's been much written about echo chambers in the last few years, and I can see why. It's so easy to get lost in amongst people that reflect your own opinions. It's like it somehow eventually dulls the senses with all threats removed from your circles, and yet simultaneously makes us even more paranoid of those outside our group. For a good while now, I've been suspicious of this insistence on kindness and compassion taking centre stage in every interaction we have. In and of themselves, they are great virtues, if used correctly and truthfully, but it seems their meaning gets distorted and twisted when someone is just seeking validation to quieten down an insecurity. I'm feeling low today. You're so beautiful, babe. We just end up in these feedback loops, which in the long run don't help anyone, by the sweet instant gratification of a dopamine hit. If I stick a link up online to a new bit of work I've just uploaded, or I tweet something witty, give it a few minutes and I'm clucking for some likes, or if I've hoovered the stairs in the house, I'll try every trick in the book to make sure my wife knows whilst mentally marking a spot on the wall for the Military Red Cross Award that my wife will want to present to me for my domestic heroics. But then, of course, I'll turn it down, because I'm humble like that. Yeah, listen, of course, I'm delighted, but at the end of the day, it's just about the result. There's some real quality in that dressing room and a great bunch of lads. It's a win for all of us. Despite my propensity for getting lost in my own bollocks, I feel truly grateful that I've had people and things around me that could occasionally slap me out of that mess. Things like this book of meditations. 
even if I've discovered it relatively late in life. My parents, being raised a Catholic, raised with the practising of saying prayers every day and making me reflect on not only what I'm grateful for, but also what I've done wrong. And in an age of social media, where it seems we're actively encouraged to disappear inside our own rectums, taking videos of ourselves whilst we're being kind and compassionate to homeless people, I need all the help I can get, mate. It's longer time. Lager time. Poems, stories and thoughts. By me, Paul Cree. Who else?